0: You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now, on to the show.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot.
0: Hello and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week, I'll explore a case, the victims, the facts, and the mystery surrounding it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Aaron Fleming. When you think of Frank Lloyd Wright, visions of eye-pleasing architecture nestled against a backdrop of gorgeous nature arise. His designs made him famous worldwide, and he is arguably the most famous architect to ever exist. But what many don't know about is Frank Lloyd Wright's involvement in the tale of an affair and ultimately several brutal murders. This week, I'll talk about the murders at Taliesin. So for this episode, I used articles on History.com by Christopher Klein, Wikipedia, of course, Murderpedia, an article on Artful Living by Kate Nelson, and one in the Chicago Tribune by Ron Grossman. In 1914, Martha Borthwick Cheney and her children were brutally murdered at Taliesin a home especially built for Martha. So this is a tale of infidelity, mental illness, and sorrow. To fully understand this tale, we must first explore the lives of those involved. We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the main person in the story, Frank Lloyd Wright. Wright was born in Wisconsin in 1867 to William Carey Wright and Anna Lloyd-Jones. His father was this interesting character. According to Wikipedia, he was a gifted musician, orator, and sometime preacher. Anna Lloyd Wright's family came from Wales to Wyoming, Wisconsin, to spread their Unitarian faith. And when Anna became pregnant with Frank, she had this vision that he would create beautiful buildings. Now, in the hopes of bringing this to fruition, she decorated his nursery with engravings of cathedrals. Not your average nursery. She also bought him these blocks that were called Frobel gifts. They were these educational toys that were meant to inspire a focused educational experience, according to their website. And yes, they are still around. Later in his autobiography, Wright actually credits those blocks as an influence in his later designs. In 1884, William Wright left his family. The man had always been described as distant, And then after the divorce, Frank never saw his father again. And I really think this affected him in a very distinct way, seeing how Frank would do something similar in his own life later. Despite that devastating blow, Frank kept going. He studied under a professor of civil engineering. Leaving Wisconsin for Chicago, Frank found work as a draftsman at the architectural firm of Sillsby, Now, although he found inspiration there, he longed to do somewhat more progressive work. So he left to work at the firm of Dankmar Adler and Louis Sullivan. Now, apparently, while working there, he did side work at night working on bootlegging houses. And this led to disagreements with Sullivan, causing Frank to leave and start up his own office. So in retrospect, this was a good thing. In 1889, at the age of 22, he met and married Catherine Lee Tobin, whose father was a wealthy businessman. And this was kind of just what he needed. With his wife's money, they moved to this very prestigious part of Chicago called Oak Park. Now, together, they would have six children. Catherine, or Kitty, as she was known to everyone, was credited with being the one the children loved the most, as their father was described as distant You know, just like his own father was. Now, perhaps it was due to his work or maybe some self-fulfilling prophecy. Not trying to tarnish the man's reputation, but many of the articles I read did not paint this guy in the best light. He was described as very egotistical and somewhat of a control freak. It's widely believed that he's the inspiration for the character of Howard Rourke in Ayn Rand's book The Fountainhead. Now, regardless, Kitty was the one who took care of the six children. Let me repeat, six children. I can't even imagine. And I know she probably had help since her mother, Anna, lived close by, but still six children. That is not an easy feat. I have one. I can't imagine five more. I do always think Frank was a distant father. I read that he did have the opportunity to travel to Italy for several years, but he turned it down because of his family. Maybe it was just time or success that changed things. Frank was, of course, busy designing homes. Between 1900 and 1901, he was cultivating the famous prairie style that would make him popular. It's known for its overhanging eaves and horizontal lines. The prairie movement embraced hand craftsmanship and it eschewed mass production. It is really beautiful work. He was already gaining success due to some of his previous homes that were out there, but after two articles in the Ladies Home Journal, things really took off for him. In 1903, he began designing a home for Edwin Cheney, who was an electrical engineer. And this was in Oak Park for his wife, Martha May Ma Borthwick Cheney. The Wrights and the Chaney's met in Oak Park, and Kitty and May Ma both were members of this 19th century women's club. And this was supposedly how Frank and Edwin connected, leading to Cheney to ask Wright to build this future home. Cheney wanted this home for his wife and the mother of his child, whom he loved dearly. Mary Bouton Borthwick was born in Boone, Iowa, and I have no idea in the world how and why she came by the name of Mayma, but this is how everyone referred to her you got to remember, this is the early 1900s. There were names like Ethel and Gertrude were popular. Mayma studied at the University of Michigan. She earned her B.A. and M.A., and later she worked as a librarian in Port Huron. This is in Michigan. It wasn't long before she met Edwin Cheney. They married and had two children, a boy and a girl named John and Martha. Before having their own children, they even adopted Maymaw's niece, Jessie Borthwith-Pitkin, after her mother died in childbirth. So they had this very ideal life, this perfect marriage, this perfect family, a boy and a girl, and now a perfect home. It's absolutely the American dream. But that dream was about to be shattered. I couldn't exactly find out how the affair started, but Frank and Maymaw became involved after the completion of the home. Around 1908, people noticed that there was trouble in both marriages. A guest at the Wrights wrote that Kitty Wright seemed deeply depressed. In September of 1909, Frank left for Germany for the publication of a biography that he was overseeing of himself. Now, from what I read about the guy, this sounds about right. But he confessed to a client that he was really deserting his wife and children for a year in search of a spiritual adventure. And then coincidentally, May Ma also left for New York, leaving her young children with Edwin. Now this is pretty crappy on both accounts, but, you know, supposedly they were in love. So she met up with Frank to sail to Europe together. But when reporters for the Chicago Tribune noticed the couple, this affair made the front page. And poor Kitty, meanwhile back home with her six kids, when she was asked about the affair by a reporter who came to her home, she said, my heart is with him now. I feel certain that he will come back. So this was an especially scandalous thing because this is the early 1900s. I mean, this would be scandalous now, but think about this back then. I mean, this was a time when couples didn't even divorce. You were married for better or for worse. And that's exactly where Kitty's mindset was. She was determined that she was going to stay with her husband despite this infidelity. Kitty flat out refused to grant him a divorce. And they were under the eye of the media with this scandalous affair. So this was the perfect getaway. So the place was built on this brow of a large ridge. And it is a stunning sight. Frank described the home as low, wide, and snug, and the press dubbed it the Love Cottage. As well as designing the house, Frank also designed all of the furniture. So in addition to this being his new home, it also served as his studio. Essentially, there were two large portions. So one was a residence and the other was a workspace. Since he decided to use yellow limestone for the home, local farmers helped move the stones to his house. And inside the house, it was painted a yellow sienna. So there was definitely this color scheme. There were windows all throughout to encourage lots of sunlight. The entire finished house measured 12,000 square feet. So around 1911, the home was finished, and Frank moved in entirely. He seemed to have some issues acquiring work due to the scandal over his affair and leaving his wife and children. People did not like that. This left him with some free time. Inspired by his love of Japanese culture, he planted many trees and vegetables, as well as a water garden and a tea circle in the courtyard, making this place even more beautiful. Mayma, meanwhile, worked on translations of works by a Swedish difference feminist called Ellen Key. I was like, what is difference feminist? Essentially, to sum it up, Difference Feminism says that although men and women are different, they shouldn't have a value placed on either, and they should have equal status. So it's a pretty nice idea, but does it work? I guess Frank Lloyd Wright was also a fan of this movement. And it does seem to have a refreshing idea that at a time when women weren't valued at all, he may have viewed Maymies as equal, but the citizens of the area weren't impressed with either of them. The local community was so incensed with this affair, they encouraged the sheriff to arrest Frank Lloyd Wright. But Wright seemed unfazed. He was quoted as saying, Two women were necessary for a man of artistic mind, one to be the mother of his children and the other to be his mental companion, his inspiration and soulmate man, as you know, I don't try to throw out my opinion in the podcast, but as a woman who's been cheated on twice, I read that and I was like, man, don't try to justify your wandering dick. Anyways, I believe at the time that Edwin Cheney had custody of their children, but they were living at Taliesin at the time, I think for the summer, maybe with their mother. And this would be very unfortunate for them in the future. At this estate at Taliesin, a man by the name of Julian Carleton, who was thought to be from Barbados, was hired on as a chef and a servant. He and his wife, Gertrude, were recommended to Frank. So at Taliesin, Gertrude mainly cooked, while Julian did a variety of jobs, pretty much everything from general caretaker to butler. He was described as a very intelligent man, but he had a hot temper and he seemed to be on the defensive due to his belief that he was being picked on by other members of the staff and household. Shortly before the close of summer, Julian had been reportedly asked to leave Taliesin. Now, some say he wanted to leave voluntarily because Gertrude wanted to go back to Barbados. Most reports say he was asked to leave over some very recent odd behavior and an argument he had with Mayma. On August 15, 1914, Frank Lloyd Wright was in Chicago with his son working on the construction of Midway Gardens. And it was there that he received some awful news. His mistress had been killed and Tally Essen was on fire. So here's what happened Mayma and the kids were on the patio, having just eaten lunch, which was served by Julian. At the same time, there were six workmen in the dining room of the home, which was about 25 feet away, and they were also having lunch. So it was 13-year-old Ernest Weston and his father, William Weston, 26-year-old draftsman Emil Brodel, 38-year-old handyman David Lindblom, and 68-year-old foreman Thomas Bronker, and finally draftsman Herbert Fritz. So Julian served the meal, and then he asked for some gasoline to clean up a stain on the rug. But after getting the gasoline, he began to douse the home with it before setting it on fire. I guess he locked the door to the room with the men having lunch, and maybe placed some towels underneath, I read in a couple of accounts. He supposedly told Gertrude to run, and he took off towards the veranda with an axe. He swung the axe at Mayma's head, wedging the axe into her skull. And then he turned his attention to 12-year-old John. Eight-year-old Martha ran from the scene. And according to an article in the New York Post, Julian ran after her, cutting into her three times before he caught up to her. He bashed her face in with the end of the axe. And she was the only one not found sitting. These men were trapped since Julian had previously locked all the doors and they had to resort to jumping out the windows to escape the heat and the flames. But unbeknownst to them, Julian Carlton was lying in wait with his axe. Herbert Fritz was the first to jump, breaking his arm in the process. As he tried to extinguish the flames on his clothing, he looked up in time to see Weston flailing through the same window. Julian hit him in the head with two fierce blows. And assuming this man was dead, he then moved on to other victims. He came upon 60 year old Thomas Brunker bringing the axe down upon the old man's skull. And then he killed Emile Brodell and young Ernest Winston in the same manner. Now, David Lindblom was hit in the head, but it was not fatal. However, he was very badly burned. Despite that, the two men ran to the nearest farmhouse, which was about a mile down the road, where they telephoned for help. And the elder Weston then returned to try to fight the blaze with a garden hose, but it was to no avail. Taliesin burned to the ground. Now, after the attack, local farmers came running upon the scene to try to help look for this missing madman. They eventually found him hiding in the furnace of the burned-out building. And in a crazy attempt to end his own life, he swallowed hydrochloric acid But this is really awful. Unfortunately for him, it did not do the job, for he ended up surviving. Now, this group of men wanted to lynch him, but they were convinced to bring him to justice. So he was taken to the nearby jail. Julian Carlton would ultimately never see that justice, dying in jail of starvation after two months. Due to the damage of the hydrochloric acid to his esophagus, he couldn't eat. So this was a really slow, painful death, and maybe, perhaps, one would say what he deserved. David Lindblom would later die from his burns, leaving Fritz and Weston as the only survivors. I guess they found Gertrude hiding in a field, and she left for Chicago and was never heard from again. Frank Lloyd Wright boarded the first train, coincidentally running into Edward Cheney, can you imagine this meetup? I can't even imagine what Edward Cheney was going through. He just lost his two children. And, you know, he had to have suffered the loss of his former wife because you just don't stop loving someone. Edwin took the children's remains back to Chicago. And it said that Wright cut all of Mayma's flowers in his garden, and he lay them over her body in her coffin, and when her coffin was lowered into the grave, he reportedly filled the grave in all by himself. Frank told police that things were absolutely fine three days earlier when he had been at Taliesin. And he said of Carlton, he must have lost his mind, and yet I cannot believe the news is true. And the facts are that no one really knows why Julian Carlton did what he did that day. I mean, rumors are that he was harassed due to his race. Others feel that he might have had some kind of mental illness. There were rumors that Emile Brodel had called him a black son of a bitch. Whatever the reason, it died with him. Wright really mourned Mama's death. And according to his sister, he suffered weight loss, depression, and even temporary blindness.
2: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place with LinkedIn. You can hire professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today.
0: It is said that that was the end of the Prairie school period. Now this is where it gets really crazy After some time, Wright was determined to rebuild Taliesin, which he eventually did, calling it Taliesin II, and it was almost identical to the original. He also returned to work, and he soon found love again. In 1914, he began a correspondence with a sculptor, Marion Knoll, and soon after meeting, he invited her to move in with him. Then finally, Kitty just gave it up in 1922, and she granted him the divorce. And so he married Miriam. Things did not go so well for the second marriage, nor the second Taliesin. Due to Miriam's schizophrenia and drug use, the couple split a year later. Then on April 20th, 1925, Frank was at Taliesin too, exiting the dining room, and he noticed smoke coming from the bedroom. It was a fire, another fire, and due to the high winds, the fire spread very quickly The living quarters were destroyed, but I guess the workspaces were okay. It's suspected that a storm caused an electrical surge that went through the telephone and caused the fire. It's so funny. For younger people, they probably are like, what the hell? So, you know, back in the day, you had landlines, you didn't have cell phones, and electricity could go through those telephone wires. I remember any time there was a storm, my grandma always saying, don't be on the phone, man, you could get struck by lightning. Anyways, Frank wanted to rebuild, but he was deeply in debt due to this recent divorce. The bank actually foreclosed on the property until a former client devised a brilliant plan. Darwin Martin formed a company called Frank Lloyd Wright Incorporated, and he took stock on Wright's future earnings. And with the help of clients and former students, they raised over $70,000. The company then bid on Taliesin and returned it to Frank Lloyd Wright. It was at Taliesin III that he created some of his most famous works like Falling Water. Yes, Taliesin kept going, lay and Voorhees. He would marry for a third time in 1924 to a lady named Olga Ivanova Lazovic. The two formed the Taliesin Fellowship, which was Wright's architectural apprentice program in 1932. On April 4th, 1959, Frank went to the hospital with abdominal pains. So he underwent surgery and he seemed to be doing okay until he suddenly died on April 9th. Oddly, Olga Vana wanted her ashes, Frank's, and her daughters to be mixed together and placed at the garden at Taliesin West, which was the winter home in Scottsdale, Arizona and this was in no way cleared with the Wright family. But despite that, in 1985, when she passed away, Frank's body was dug up and taken from its resting place in Wisconsin, cremated and sent to Scottsdale to be with hers. A very bizarre ending to this whole situation. There have been a couple of fiction books about Frank and his affairs that are probably worth reading. One is called Loving Frank by Nancy Horan. And it's a fictional account of his relationship with Maymaw. And there's another one from T.C. Boyle called The Women, which I guess chronicles all three women's lives. But I haven't read either one, but they are both critically acclaimed. I remember when Loving Frank came out and people went crazy over it. It seems like many people were hurt, not just emotionally by the relationship of Mayma and Frank, but ultimately physically. So that was the story of Taliesin. As always, I want to thank everyone for listening. I also just realized, because I'm a big dummy, that I have quite a few supporters on the ACAST supporter page. I'm just dumb. I never realized how to check it. The other day, I was messing around, and I saw that people donated. So I want to thank Kathy Yu, Beck, Julian, Ree, and Angela, the crime addict. Awesome name. So cool, guys. Thank you. And if you're interested, I'll be having a Zoom thing on Thursday the 27th. Coming up, a couple days. No, actually, tomorrow at the North Hills Library here in Pittsburgh. So I posted a link on my Facebook page. Join me. I'll be talking and answering questions. I did one not too long ago for the South Park Library, and that went very well. Thank you, Kirby, for asking him if I'm okay. Thank you, Heather, for the um, – she had a very good suggestion for an episode. Thank you, Lisa, from Germany. That's so cool. The other day she wrote to me. She was saying she really liked the episode uh, about Bianca Devins, so thank you a lot. And then I had one really sweet email from Amy in Buffalo, New York. She sounds really cool, and thank you for your very encouraging words. You are really awesome. As always, guys, join the Red Ron Blonde Facebook group, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram or or, of course, email me at blonde at gmail.com. So thank you so much for listening and catch you guys next time.
2: ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.